Okay, the scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 95 and can be found on page 499 in your Black Pew Bible. Psalm chapter 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Redeemer. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. To all the 8.30 people who are here at the 10.30, I've missed you at the 8.30. It was really light, and uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here right now. Um, that, was a, that was a 10.30, 8.30 joke, and I realize I'm the only person who got it since I'm the only one who's here at both of them. But Ben McCauley got it up in the sound booth. Hey, let's uh, rewind. Hey, I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's really good to see you. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you so much for just this place, uh, for people to gather with, for songs to sing. Thank you that you've, you've shown us who you are. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate or try to pin down uh, what you're like or what you think. You've shown yourself to us. You've given us grace. You've given us mercy. And so I pray uh, for all of us right now uh, that you would give us soft hearts and open hearts and joyful hearts. Uh, it is so easy to uh, just get dull and numb and kind of worn down and worn out. And so, Lord, will you help us to hear uh, your warnings here uh, against hardened hearts and missing out on the rest that you have to offer? Will you make us true worshipers of you uh, and, help, and following you in every single area of life? Uh, Lord, we need your grace. We are dependent on you. And we're trusting that you will show up and give us everything that we need. So I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Each summer, we have a rhythm of taking a break from whatever series it is that we are going through and spending some time in the Psalms. So if you uh, are new, haven't been here for a little while, we've been spending the last few months uh, going through the New Testament letter to the church in uh, Colossae, going through the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going to pick that back up in August, but we wanted to take a break and spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament book of Psalms. The Psalms, if you're not familiar, is this massive collection right in the middle of the Old Testament of songs, 
prayers, poems that were kind of written over centuries by the people of God as a way to give voice to emotions and experiences and teach us what it looks like to live authentically before God, to align our heads, to align our hearts, to align our actions with who God is and with who we are. Um, So, We could do a lot of things in Psalms. There are 150 of them, and they kind of cover the entire spectrum of uh, human experience and emotion. One old pastor said that the Psalms are like an anatomy of the soul. Uh, Inside of them, you're gonna find every single emotion that we're going to go through in life. It, It covers different experiences. So if you want to know, hey, how do I be sad and disappointed? and bring that to God. The Psalms are, are there to give, to give language to that. If you're happy, joyful, excited, the Psalms are there to give language to that. If you're angry, the Psalms give language to that and train us and teach us on how to take all of these things that we have inside of us and bring them before the God who made everything and calls us to himself. One of the themes uh, that we'll see over, all, all over the place in the Psalms and one of the things that we've been talking about in the book of Colossians is gratitude and thanksgiving. Listen to these verses that we preached on a few weeks ago from Colossians 2. In it, Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Gratitude, thanksgiving are at the heart of Christianity. The faith that we hold on to, the faith that we confess is not some dry, disconnected, abstract thing. When we come together, we're we're, we're saying that we are coming together to worship and commune with the God who is at the beating center of everything, pulsating with beauty and glory and goodness. And the basic premise is that if you encounter him, if you see him and you experience him, it changes you. It does something inside of us and cultivates joy and gratitude. So uh, consider today an invitation to you to spend this next month, the month of July, pursuing and cultivating gratitude inside of your own hearts and lives. Now, when I say that, I, I realize um, that, that that is a challenge because when we talk about gratitude or Thanksgiving, like there are so many things going on in our lives and it's really hard to figure out, hey, how exactly do I do that when all of this is a mess over here? Or if you're like me, uh, how do I do that when I don't really feel thankful or grateful? My least favorite part of any holiday is on Thanksgiving when we all go around the table and say, you know what, today I'm really thankful for this. Like, I know I should, I know I should love to do that. That's a really healthy thing to do. But if someone tells me, hey, be grateful, tell me what you're grateful for, my natural reaction is to be like, I don't really want to. When I was, when I was a kid, like my parents, anytime I would get a present, like grandma and grandpa gave me a present, it was great. And I would just be like, okay, cool, that's, thanks, that's great. Um, and they're like, well, don't, don't you like that? It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I just like don't have huge emotions. I don't feel things super deeply. If you're a counselor or a therapist, it's really unethical to diagnose me after, after saying that. If you follow a lot of accounts, like, listen, I've done the work. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to cultivate gratitude inside of my heart, inside of my life. I'm just being a little bit vulnerable with you right now. Gratitude is difficult for me, right? And um, especially when I hear people teaching me 
why I should be more thankful or grateful. Because like, I know that. I know I should be more thankful. I have so many things inside of my life. And the crazy thing is like, now that I'm a parent and trying to instill gratitude in my own kids, I'm like, oh gosh, I must have been a nightmare to be, to, to parent. Um, gratitude is one of the healthiest practices that we can cultivate inside of our lives. We're going to talk about that more from the Bible uh, later. Let me just give you an example from the Mayo Clinic. I was doing a little bit of reading and research earlier this week, uh, and there's an article from the Mayo Clinic on the positive health effects and benefits of gratitude, of experiencing a grateful heart. People who experience gratitude and are generally, generally more uh, thankful in life, uh, it reduces stress, it improves quality of sleep, it uh, reduces anxiety, it boosts immune systems, it lessens uh, depression and alleviates the effects of depression. Uh, in the article, they said, if we could find a way to turn the benefits of gratitude in the heart into a pill, everyone would want to take it. So there, there are huge, enormous benefits to cultivating gratitude inside of us. But this article says, and it's backed up with a lot of things that we see in our own lives and experience and scripture, we are not naturally thankful, grateful people. It actually takes work to cultivate gratitude inside of our hearts. So they say, hey, you should make a practice of every morning waking up and telling somebody that you are thankful for them because our uh, hearts follow our actions and there's, you have to cultivate it. And if that is true kind of in the physical bodily realm, how much more true is that in our emotions and our spirits? We need help. We need direction. We need something that can help us inform us and guide us in our assumption is that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, and following through and practicing what God has said for us to do actually changes us. So if you want to be grateful, or if you're feeling a little bit resistant and being like, oh, I don't like being told what to do, that's great. I don't either. And also, I know I need it. I need it. So for this month, we are going to be looking at different Psalms that are inviting us to a life of gratitude and worship in the presence of God. And those things are gonna be really tightly connected. You cannot have deep, genuine, lasting gratitude if you are disconnected from the God who made everything. So, Psalm 95, at its heart, is an invitation to worship God. There are two big invitations in it, to shout to God, to make songs to God, and invitation number two, to fall on your face in silence before him, to see him in beauty and glory and power. And there's also a warning that you probably picked up on at the end of the psalm, not to let your heart become dull and hardened and closed off. So what I wanna to do today is look at those two invitations and the warning and see what it might look like for us to cultivate gratitude in our own lives. So if you close your Bibles, open them back up to Psalm 95. We see the first invitation in the first few verses. And the invitation for you, for all of us this morning, is to worship loudly because God reigns over everything. Worship, sing loudly, lift up your voice because God reigns over everything. Look at verse one, it's an invitation. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. There it is, gratitude, thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful, loud noise to him with songs of praise. So the invitation that kicks this psalm off is to come into the presence of God and sing. Um, in, in many ways, what this psalm is doing is what we do at the beginning of every single service when a worship leader invites all of us to lift up our voices, to come into the presence of God and to sing to him, to verbally with our mouths say who he is, what he has done and all the benefits of knowing him. Lift up your hearts, sing to God. And this psalm in particular has a really long, history uh, in the church and in the people of God as of being used to draw people into worship. Uh, it's been used by the church for centuries, uh, for thousands of years actually, to invite all of us into the presence of God, to lay aside whatever it is that we're coming from and to fix our eyes on the God who made everything. And even going back into the Old Testament era when this was written before the church, before Jesus, um, this song was probably used used to start the Feast of Tabernacles. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? It was a festival that the people in Israel uh, would observe every single year where they would move out of their houses and homes and settle down in a little tent, a little booth, a little tabernacle, and they would relive the story of the Exodus and being in the wilderness. So every year, um, it's, it's a way of remembering and maintaining who we are. It's a way of saying, all right, we are descendants of a people who God miraculously liberated from Egypt. We were slaves. God rescued us from our slavery. He brought us to himself. He sustained us miraculously in the desert. He provided for us. He gave us this land. And that same God who did all those things back then is the same God that we follow and worship right now. And we are the same people. It's, it's a way of strengthening faith. It's a way of worshiping God and remembering and reenacting uh, the great works and energy of God uh, in history. And so the energy here at the beginning is, is electric. It's saying, sing, make a joyful noise, come with thanksgiving, make joyful noises with sounds of praise. That word joyful isn't actually in the original language. It just says, make a really loud noise, just like a generic, really loud noise. It is... Um, it is full of energy and volume, a little bit chaotic. And, and there are probably a couple kinds of people in this room when they hear an invitation like that to come and be loud, be a little bit out of control, to lift up your voices really loud. Some of you are like completely on board with that. And you're like, yes, let's do it. Like, I'm, I'm tired of all these people who are just kind of like, yep, uh-huh, who like don't know how to celebrate or rejoice at church or any other area. And like you just want to be a part of something that is big and electric and bigger than you and celebrate and lift up your voice and participate in something really, really big. This Psalm is giving you permission to do that. It's giving you permission to come into the presence of God and, and, and say, yeah, you are exactly who you say you are. And I am going to lift my voice really, really loudly up to you and participate in who who you are and everything that you've given us. There's another kind of person in this room um, that, that makes you really uncomfortable. It's me. Um, <laughs> when someone tells me that I should get loud and sing really loudly, again, I'm like, I don't think I will. I'm good. I'll just watch you do it. Um, so uh, you, 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 when you're hearing that, if you're like me, you might not be super crazy about this because it can feel a little bit coercive and manipulative. And it's like, well, my heart's not really in it. So, you know, 
I'll, uh, I'll just kind of be off to the side and, and, uh, and, and listen to what's going on. Um, if that's you, I think it's worth considering who is giving this invitation to you, right? Uh, because I can have a cynical heart. Maybe you can have a little bit of a cynical heart and being like, okay, what are you trying to get me to do? The person who is writing this psalm, who is singing this song for the first time, isn't someone who's trying to get something from you. It's someone who has experienced something really beautiful and powerful and wants you to experience it also. Let me give you a little bit of an illustration. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had to take my son Owen to the emergency room in the middle of the night. If you have not been to the emergency room in the middle of the night lately, keep that streak going. It is a wild spot. It is crazy. So he comes into our room in the middle of the night and is complaining about a, you know, really strong stomach ache. He can barely walk. And so I was like, well, you know, if that's his appendix, I should probably uh, get, it, get it checked out. So we go in, the nurse is, you know, giving him in, this uh, intake, asking him questions. And all Owen can do is talk to her about how amazing this book is that he's reading. She's like, so how are you feeling? Like, do you feel okay? He's like, ah, I feel okay, but you should, you sh have you read this book? You should read it. Like the characters who are inside of it, the, like the story, it's amazing. Like, I, I mean, we read it in the, I brought it, to, I brought it to the ER and we're reading it in the middle of the ER. And he's just this little six-year-old kid who turns out to be fine. He was totally okay. Um, like the, the nurse is like, so are you feeling okay? He's like, oh yeah, I feel great, but you should read about this book. Um, he loves it and he wanted her to experience all the joy um, and the happiness that he got from reading and experiencing this book. There is a massive difference when you have an invitation like that to come and taste, to try this out for yourself compared to that dry assignment that you had to do in high school when you were doing a book review and you had to analyze the structure and to see what the themes might be pointing to and is there a political subversive thing going on? Like, that, 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 that is dry analysis. This psalm is not inviting us to dry analysis of who God is. This psalm is written by someone who has tasted and seen and wants all of us to experience the joy and the gratitude that comes from losing yourself in the presence of the God who is powerful and big and glorious. It's inviting us to leave behind dry analysis for a minute and remember that you and all of us are lovers. Primarily, deep down, to be human is to be a lover, which makes sense if we're created in the image of a God who is love, but we're not primarily thinkers. And I'm sorry if I offend all the engineers and linear thinkers in the room. What you do is amazing and beautiful and we need it. Um, thinking is great, thought is great, logic is amazing. We, we need more of it. But deep down, like to be human is to love things, right? To be human is to love food and places and songs and sports teams and people and families and experiences. And I suspect that the times when you have felt most alive and most full and most full of joy and gratitude is when you are able to experience and participate in something that you love with people that you love. And the God who made everything is inviting us into his presence to love him and experience him and lift up our voices with joy and gratitude before him. And maybe hearing that, your heart still isn't quite gripped. 
and it sounds nice, but you're not quite into it. Well, this psalm is gonna continue and give you reasons why you can maybe start exploring whether or not that, uh, that reality is worth pursuing. Look down with me at verse three. Why should you make a joyful noise to God with songs of praise? Well, because the Lord is a great God and a great king above all the gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So ancient Israel is surrounded by all these nations that are really powerful and really big and full of legends and myths about their gods and how amazing uh, their gods are. And what's crazy is how over the top um, these kind of pagan ancient religions can be about how amazing their God is. Like our God has the biggest biceps and he, you know, killed the most people and he, you know, slaughtered the most uh, cities and like, we, you know, we follow the most powerful God. It can just get really um, over the top kind of hyperbolic when these nations are talking about their gods. But do you see how different and secure this God is and who, and who he is? He doesn't have to um, posture all he has to do is say, well, the Lord is a great God. He is a great God beyond all the other powers in the world, beyond all the arrogance and the preening and uh, pretension. This God is exalted above all of it. And he is completely unthreatened in who he is. He's at the top of Mount Everest. He is not intimidated by height. He is not overwhelmed by depth. And by the way, when it says that he's holding the sea in his hands, that's not just saying that uh, the sea is really big and really beautiful and you should remind you of God who's really big and really beautiful. That's probably true. But the sea, when this is written, is the place where darkness and evil and chaos came from, right? Um, the sea is really intimidating. It's huge. It's powerful. It's uncontrollable. Imagine trying to navigate it without technology in a small rickety wooden boat. Uh, people were afraid of the ocean, back then. Uh, it, it was the place where chaos came from. And what is it saying about our God? Well, this, it's, it's his. It belongs to him. He's not overwhelmed by chaos. He's not threatened by evil. In fact, those don't even get to have the final say because God holds everything and he is going to bring about the end that he determines. And so what do you do when you encounter a God like this who is secure, who is unthreatened, who is reigning over everything, well, you worship him. You lose yourself in him and you come before him loudly with shouts of joy and thanksgiving, telling him who he is. That's the first invitation, to lose yourself in his power and glory and to worship with thanksgiving the powerful God who made everything and reigns over it all. The second invitation that we see uh, right after that is to worship in silence and quietness because we belong to God. Look down at verse six with me. So after saying all this, after giving these reasons about why God is worthy of worship, it says, come, let's worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Notice the parallels and the differences between verse six and verse one. Both of them have an invitation to come close into the presence of God, to look at him, to experience him, to find yourself completely in him. 
But the first one is to do that with celebration, with joy, with abandon. And the second invitation is to come in humility and silence. Do you see how worship covers the entire spectrum of human emotion and experience? Because as much as we all love to be caught up in something that is bigger than ourselves and beautiful and glorious, and if you doubt that that's true, go ask someone who was at the Taylor Swift concert the last couple of nights. People love being in something that is big and beautiful and glorious and powerful. Another thing that we love Another thing that we were made for is to feel small. And I'm not talking about feeling small in a belittling way, like that person made me feel small or insignificant or unimportant. What we love is being on the edge of something that is bigger than us, more powerful than us, more beautiful than us, and realizing how small we are compared to it. And what's even better as if, in your, if you're in that spot and you realize, oh, I'm not just really small, but I'm actually loved here and I am welcome here. That feeling of being protected and cared for is a way that we praise and it's a way that we worship. So the same God who made everything, who rules over everything, who will destroy death, evil, chaos, darkness, forever, calls you his. And he lets you call him yours. Look at verse seven. Why should we get small before God? Why should we bow down? Why should we kneel before the Lord our maker? Because he's our God. And we're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. We belong to him. He's invited us into his house, into his presence. And there is a time and a place to lay flat on your face in the presence of God, to feel like the carpet on your cheek, to feel the grass in your face, to realize the immensity of who he is, the immensity of everything that we don't understand, all the questions that we have, all the things that seem so far beyond us, to think about that, to feel overwhelmed by that. And then to also realize, oh, but even though all that is real, like I belong to God. I belong to him. What defines me more than anything? God has bought me and brought me to himself, not as a servant, not as someone who has to prove something to him to be accepted and welcomed in, but someone who out of love and grace has brought me into his family and called me a son and a daughter. And if we get that, if we, if we understand that, if we meditate on that, if we turn that over in our hearts and our minds, that, that's what starts to cultivate gratitude inside of us and be like, oh yeah, that is real. That is real. Everything that I'm facing, like that's real too. Um, life is hard. Life is really difficult for a lot of us. And I know particularly for people who are in this room, life is really hard and overwhelming for you right now. And what is more real than anything you're facing is the fact that in Christ you belong to him and nothing can ever take you out of his hand. That's how we cultivate gratitude. And all that can be true, we can come to God exuberantly, we can worship him, we can be silent before him, and yet there is a risk and a warning at the end of this psalm. And the risk is, 
of having our hearts and lives so disconnected from the things that we confess with our mouth that we miss out on actually experiencing and having the reality of God. So the warning after these two invitations is don't let a hard heart rob you of rest. Do not let a hard heart rob you of rest. Look down at the end of verse seven. So again, he's just said, he's our God. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So today, here's a so what. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. And then God starts talking in verse nine. It shifts from whoever the author is of the psalm to quoting God. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. That's a strong word, right? People aren't really sure how to translate it. It gets at the idea of there is constant conflict, strife, butting of heads for 40 years between the people of God in the wilderness and the God who brought them out of um, Egypt. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. For 40 years, I, I fought with them and said, there are people who go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they shall never enter my rest. So this uh, psalm is pointing back to Exodus chapter 17 right now. Uh, Exodus is the story of how God brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He did that by demonstrating his power over all of the gods of Egypt, over Pharaoh, by destroying the global superpower of the day, um, and then bringing this people who had been enslaved out into the desert uh, to come and worship him, to come and live in relationship with him. And in Exodus chapter 17, they've been in the wilderness for a little while. They've seen um, God destroy the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. Uh, they have run out of food and experienced God sending them fresh bread every single day, miraculously. And in Exodus chapter 17, their water runs out and they immediately start uh, panicking and complaining and saying, I knew it. I knew that God was not who he said he was. He brought us out here in the wilderness to die. This has all been a cruel joke. There is not freedom. God is uh, holding out on us and he's not actually going to provide for us. At the end of Exodus chapter 17, the question that the people keep on doing over and over and over again is saying, is God actually with us or not? And God provides, tells Moses to go hit a rock, water comes out of the rock, everyone gets to drink. Um, he, he provides for them, but that dynamic keeps happening over and over and over and over again as the people walk through the wilderness. God provides, they run into trouble. Immediately, questions, criticism, accusations towards the nature of God, the character of God, unbelief that he would do what he says he would do. And Exodus and the psalmist says, hey, what all that is is pointing towards hardness of heart. And so we might read this and struggle with the fact that, you know, God is um, uh, contending with them, fighting with them. Therefore, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Um, the real scandal is that humans, us, can encounter the presence and power and provision of God and still walk away hard and untrusting and accusing him of holding out on us and not giving us what we actually need. 
And if you, if you think about it, um, it's understandable, right? They're in, a, they're in a tough spot. They're not sure what's going to happen. They are wholly, completely reliant on God to come through for them, just like he had before, but will he actually do it again this time? Here's the point. The author here in this psalm is telling all of us with this word today, hey, not back then. Let's not look at the problems of them back then. Today, you, me, that same dynamic is inside of all of our hearts. That same fear, that same hardness, that same movement to try to just secure what I have and make sure that I'm okay, to be cynical, to distrust the um, goodness of God, the nature of God. And so there's a warning, hey, beware of that movement. If you follow that movement down its path all the way, if we resist, if we harden, if we do not cultivate faith and worship and gratitude, ultimately, it means that we miss out on participating in and experiencing the rest that God has to offer. Rest in the Bible is not... Um, laying on your couch, watching Netflix, or having a day off, or a self-care day. Rest is really theological, all throughout the Bible. Rest is what God does after he creates the world. Uh, he steps back, he sees creation working harmoniously, uh, and he rests. And then that perfect rest of God, which he invited all of us to live in and participate in and to move in, he gets shattered through our rebellion, through our sin, through our darkness. And the quest of the Old Testament is, hey, how do we get back to that? How do we actually experience real rest, real security, real salvation for our hearts and our souls? And the message all the way through the Bible is, hey, God is the only place where you can get that. And we see that in the, we see that in the Old Testament. God is going to over and over and over and over again say, hey, I, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me, I will give you rest. And then Jesus walks into the pages of the New Testament and he says, hey, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you beaten down? Come to me and I will give you the rest that your souls are longing for. And how do we get it? We get it through faith, in his grace, in his provision. We get it by listening to him, trusting him, worshiping him, cultivating gratitude in our hearts, being aware of the cynicism and hardness that is always in our own hearts. That's why we sing in the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's a movement that's in all of us. And we resist that by faith, by holding on to the promises of God. And how do we do that? Psalm 95 has given us a roadmap and has given us some answers. So here are three ways that you can fight hardness and cultivate gratitude in your heart. The first way is to sing. That invitation that is at the beginning of this psalm to come, lift up your voice, make a joyful noise, isn't just a metaphor. It's actually an invitation to come and to lift up our voices and to sing. Why? Singing engages, like it engages us on a level that thought doesn't. Um, we're, we are, um, like we're humans. We're designed to um, 
pursue joy. We're, we're made to sing. And when we sing, it actually engages the whole of who we are and brings hearts and minds and wills into alignment before God. So when we come together and sing, it's not just like a warm up. It's not just a, you know, something cool that we do. It's actually formative. It actually changes us. And it's a thing that we do together. I, I don't really have time to talk about this, but uh, go back through this and read this again sometime. This is not an individual psalm. This is something that's corporate. Like we need to do this together. We need the people singing next to us to have our hearts um, aligned and softened and brought to God. So sing to him, sing here, sing at home, go through the Bible, write down all the things that you see about who God is, all the promises that he's made, and then praise him for it, sing to him. Like set that down before you and say, no, this is who my God is and he is worthy of worshiping. Sing. The second thing that you can do is get down on your face. Get really small. Um, like as best as you can, put your phone away and ask God to help you realize how much he loves you Ask him to bring to mind the ways that he has provided for you in the past. Ask him to cultivate faith and just get small before God for a while and actually do that. Like actually take some time by yourself to just get on your face before God and call out to him, worship him. And remember, oh, I belong to God. Like everything else that I am afraid about, everything else that is hurting, it's real. And yet I belong to God and nothing, nothing, nothing can change that. So sing, get on your face. And number three, practice. Practice gratitude in your life every single day. Here's the thing. Attitudes do not change by waiting for them to change. Um, I, there's something inside of us that is really resistant to do something, like if our heart's not in it, right? Like, if I don't, I, you know, I know that's good, but I just, I don't really feel like it. Uh, my heart's not in it. Um, and so we wait until our heart is in the right place so that we can actually go and do something. Um, that's not the way that it works. Uh, we don't just wait for our hearts to change. Our hearts change as we participate with the Spirit and practice gratitude practice thanksgiving. Um, so if you come into this place, if you're here right now and your heart feels dull, if you feel a little bit hardened, if you don't really feel like participating, the best thing that you can do is to participate and to sing and to pray and to ask God to move your heart into alignment with the reality of who he is and how you want to live before him. Like if the Mayo Clinic says that it takes work for us to practice gratitude, like I mean, that, that's, not, um, that's not trying to conjure something up on your own or part, like avoiding God. That is participating with the grace of God and the spirit of God and how he works inside of our lives. So practice, tell God, hey, you, you have given this to me. Thank you. Um, maybe practice gratitude with another person. Maybe, I should probably do this. Maybe go around and say what you're thankful for uh, at the table today, tonight. I'll do that. I will do that practice gratitude, grab onto the grace of God, look at Jesus. And that is the way that hearts change. 
that is the way that we experience healing, that is the way that we experience growth, is participating and practicing what he has called us to do. So today, just like the Psalm says, today, this is not just written for them back then, it's written for all of us. Go read Hebrews 3 and 4. Uh, if you want New Testament, the Hebrews 3 and 4 is all about this Psalm right here and saying today we have a choice and an opportunity. Are we going to lean into hardness of heart are we going to just follow wherever it is that we feel like our heart is leading us? Or are we going to grab onto the grace of God and follow him and practice walking in his ways and worship him? I think it's easy for us to be critical of these Israelites people back then because it's like, well, they saw more of God's work than any other generation ever. Like they explicitly saw God do things. Um, and I haven't really done that. Here's the thing, that, like, that excuse doesn't work because we know more about what God is like than they do. We've seen how God reveals himself in Jesus. We've seen that that God, the God of the Exodus, actually took on flesh, actually submitted himself to humiliation on our account. He gave us his life, he took on our death, and he filled us with his spirit, which bears witness inside of us right now. So we don't have an excuse of saying, well, we haven't seen the works of God. We have. We have seen the works of God and through faith, we hold on to them and we say, yeah, I, I, I want to I go that way. I want to walk in the ways of God. I want to uh, cultivate a heart of gratitude. I want to be the kind of person where um, as I go through life, I am thankful and I am secure and I am whole in Christ and what he's done. If, if you want that, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus, grab on of all the grace that he has to offer. If your heart feels dull and hard, remember the God who made your heart came down and has given you a new one. You're filled with his spirit, so hold on to him. If you haven't done that, like all you need to do is come to Jesus. Ask him to give you a new heart. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. Ask him to forgive you and to bring you back into alignment with him and he'll make you his child. He'll put you in his family as a son or a daughter. So what I'm saying in all of this rambling is hold on to the grace of God. Walk in his ways. Trust that the spirit of God will actually change us as we follow him on the way. And we can practice that by coming to the Lord's table today. This, this table, practicing communion, um, is, is, is something that we practice. It's, a, um, it's an act of worship that we do every single week to come forward physically, respond with our bodies, engage all of our um, emotions, engage our senses, to hold on to the bread and remember, oh yeah, Jesus' body was broken for me. Um, Jesus came to me. His blood was poured out on my behalf and his blood speaks a better word than anything that I've done or anything that has been done to me. I am whole in him, I'm secure in him and he is with me right now. That's what we do and that's what we remember every single time we come to the table. So if you're a Christian, come down here, participate in the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, don't come forward and take communion. We'd much rather you take Jesus. There are prayers in the back of the pews that you can pray uh, to uh, wrestle with God, to work with him. And there are gonna be people underneath this window who would love to pray for you also or talk with you. If you're in need of prayer, anyone here, uh, please come and get prayer uh, off to my left, your right underneath the window. The way that we practice communion here at Redeemer is we will have three stations down in front and I believe one station in the balcony. Um, the, the stations that are bread and wine, you can come down, tear off a piece of the bread and dip it either in the wine, which is in the stoneware, or the juice, which is in the glass margarita glass. Um, and, uh, 
If you uh, want a gluten-free single serve, uh, you can do that right over here to my left. You come down to the silver tray and there are two cups that are stacked on top of each other with a gluten-free wafer and some juice in the top of it. Communion is open to all who claim the name of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to pray for us uh, and then come forward and take Jesus when you are ready. So will you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you in all the ways where uh, my heart is hard and where I do need uh, your grace. Uh, will, will you give me grace? Will you help me to follow you? Will you help all of us to follow you, to be worships of, worshipers of you, to um, be people who are full of your spirit and full of gratitude and whole and confident in you? God, we need you uh, to make that happen. We need your grace. And so we're trusting that you will do what you say you will do. Uh, Lord, will you help us to sing even right now, even as we're responding at the end of the service, will you help us to sing and worship you in spirit and truth and holiness? Uh, and we're, we need you. Thank you so much for being with us. God, will you come quickly? We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.